Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and this is the beginning of Season 3. Season 3 is here, folks. All new episodes coming at you. Got some great stuff in store for you. But today, to launch it all, we're going to start with some G.I. Joe. I have acquired a bunch of trades called G.I. Joe Classics that are reprinting all the entire Marvel run of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, the comic book. And I thought I would start talking about them here on the show. Now, let's just talk a little bit about how we got to this comic book. Back in the early 80s, Hasbro decided they wanted to relaunch a action figure line that they had back in the 60s. They wanted to reboot it, relaunch it, get it back out there, throw some toys in front of the kids. A lot of this was coming probably because of Star Wars and how popular the Star Wars action figures were. Well, this action figure line that they wanted to relaunch was called G.I. Joe. And it really, the in the 60s, it consisted of basically one dude in different suits. And it was a 12-inch tall figure. It was it was basically a Barbie doll for boys. That's kind of how they marketed it, the way I understand it. But when they brought it back in the 80s, they wanted to do the smaller figures. I think it's the three and three-quarter inches, same size as the, the Star Wars figures. But unlike the previous version of G.I. Joe, they didn't want just like one guy who could do different things. They wanted a whole story behind it. Again, probably taking their cue from Star Wars. One of the reasons Star Wars toys was probably so popular is because the kids saw the movies and then their parents bought them the action figures and the play sets and they could act out their scenes from the movies or just do their own thing. There were good guys. There were bad guys. It was all set up. The history was all there. And so they just got to play. So that's kind of what they wanted to do with G.I. Joe. Well, at some point there in the early 80s, they hook up with Marvel Comics and 
the idea comes about that Marvel Comics will produce a comic book based on this action figure line. And again, Hasbro didn't have any ideas. All they knew is they wanted to create an action figure line of three and three quarter inch figures, a team named G.I. Joe. They didn't have any characters ready. They didn't have anything. And so that was put on Marvel's doorstep. Hey, we need you to just create the backstory to this using the comic books and we'll start selling action figures. And from what I understand, nobody in Marvel wanted to touch this. Jim Shooter brought it in. None of the writers wanted to touch it. And it ended up on the desk of a guy named Larry Hama. Now, Larry Hama was a veteran. And he had actually, he was a, he was a penciler, but he was also a writer. I think he, I know he penciled at least one issue of Marvel Premiere that Iron Fist was in because I've got that on my queue ready to read. I noticed that Larry Hama had penciled it, but he was also a writer. And he had just recently put a pitch together about a military team that was kind of not futuristic, but more like a uh, sci-fi type of uh, action adventure superhero, not superhero, but military team set in the modern time that was going to be led by Nick Fury's son or grandson. I think it was his son. And it basically, it was a new version. It was, it was a new modern updated version of like Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. But Marvel didn't want to do it. So when G.I. Joe got put on his desk, he said, hey, I'll just do that. And he kind of took what he was going to do in this new book and he weaved it into G.I. Joe. He created a lot of the characters, I believe. Now, I'm not 100%. I don't, I didn't do any research as far as who created the characters, who came up with the names, but I know that he came up with a lot of the backstories. He's the guy when, back in the 80s, when you were buying G.I. Joe action figures and you'd turn the card around to the back and it had that little file card that you could cut out that gave you the name and the, the, the code name and the real name and the, you know, some background information on the, on the character. That was all Larry Hama from what I understand. So he starts writing this comic book and it becomes hugely popular. So popular, in fact, that they would do commercials on TV for the comic book that were animated and just looked beautiful. And that ended up leading into the show. But the comic book was way different from the show itself. And in fact, the G.I. Joe comic book was so popular that for many comics readers of my age, G.I. Joe was the gateway comic that brought people into reading the other comics. And it was, when I started reading comics, my dad took us to a comic book store. My brother had, had a discuss, well, my grandma had bought a bunch of comic books at a garage sale. And my brother just started digging into him and he really enjoyed him. And I was just kind of, eh, comic books, whatever. I would read like the Daffy Ducks or the Donald Ducks and the, the Scrooge McDucks and, you know, that kind of stuff. Casper. I would read those because for me, comics were like comic strips that you saw in the Sunday morning paper. Just these funny little strips and didn't really have any interest in, in anything else. Well, so my dad, one day he takes us into this comic book store in downtown Lawrence called Quality Comics. It's no longer there. 
and he let us each pick out a comic book, and I saw a G.I. Joe issue. Now, my memory is very faulty, but I'm pretty sure when I look back at comic book covers that it was G.I. Joe issue number 25, but I can't be 100% certain because my memory is very faulty. But the first comic I ever had purchased for me, the first comic book I ever owned was a G.I. Joe comic. And then when we were allowed to, we got permission from our parents, they got us subscriptions to Marvel Comics. We each got to pick two titles. I picked Captain America and G.I. Joe. So today I'm going to talk about the very first issue of G.I. Joe, a real American hero from Marvel Comics. Now, Again, when I came into comics, I started with somewhere around G.I. Joe number 25. And it took me a while before I read issue number one. And I think it was actually a roommate of mine in the 90s who he was trying to get all the back issues of G.I. Joe. And that's probably where I read originally issue number one, because I believe he, 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 he was able to pick it up at one point. But I can't be, I can't be certain, because when I read this issue, while small bits of it seemed slightly familiar, it wasn't really, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I remember this story. But issue number one was written by Larry Hama with pencils by Herb Trimpey, inks by Bob McLeod, letters by Jim Novak, colorist was Glennis Ween, editor was Tom DeFalco, and of course our editor-in-chief was the big Jim Shooter. This first issue introduces us to all of the G.I. Joe characters that they had at the time. These, I I can't be 100% certain that this was the first action figure run. Because again, I didn't look that up. I wasn't, I'm not, I, I wasn't interested in doing research behind the history of the action figure. But this comic book features Grand Slam, Short Fuse, Flash, Grunt, Breaker, Rock and Roll, Scarlet, Steeler, Clutch, Stalker, Snake Eyes, Shooter, and the leader of the Joes, Colonel Hawk, and then his boss, which is General Flag, who is apparently a young guy. He's just recently promoted to general. Now, Shooter, I don't remember that name at all. And if you look at the panel, there, there's a panel in the book where they show uh, like a computer screen, like a widescreen computer screen, and it's got the different pictures of the different Joes. He's kind of off to the side and slightly cut off. So that might have just been somebody that Larry Hama threw in there. I don't remember ever there being an action figure called Shooter. And frankly, most of my history, most of my real memories from G.I. Joe does come from the toys and from the cartoon. And if you're interested at all in hearing about me talk about the cartoon, then I would check out tomorrow's episode of my other podcast, which you can only get if you're a patron of mine, as little as a dollar a month. I'm going to be spending that episode talking about the cartoon and my love and joy for the cartoon. But in this issue, we open up on a train. There's a there's a very important person on the train, Dr. Burkhart, and she has been duped. She has been labeled as a traitor to America because she was working on something for the government. And then once she her her little experiment or whatever that she was working on, once she got it developed, she found out that she was working on a piece to a weapon that they called a doomsday device. And once she learned about that, once she she realized she was being tricked, she she turned into a whistleblower and she told everybody about it. And so like the the military's not not too keen on her, but she's on a train because she's she's doing like a mobile press conference. I guess she only feels safe on a train, and there's a lot of Secret Service agents there to keep her safe because other governments, terrorist groups, whatnot, 
might want to get a hold of her because she's got all this knowledge about this doomsday device. And sure enough, Cobra infiltrates the train. And when I say Cobra, it's actually the Baroness in disguise as a reporter and some other dude who we never see again, also in disguise as a reporter. And they kidnap her. He stays behind. She takes Dr. Burkhart into this, like the the bathroom on this in this train car and she straps a cable to her and they go, she, they go crashing out the window and she's got this device that turns into like a freaking helium balloon or something. They go floating up into the sky and then there's a Cobra helicopter up there that intercepts them and pulls them into the copter, somehow managing to avoid shredding this balloon on this like 10 foot long line that should be up in the helicopter blades as they're pulling them into the helicopter. But we're, we're going to, we're going to get past that. So then we go to the Pentagon and there, there are two generals there. I don't remember the one guy's name, but the other is general flag. And they're discussing what they can do because Cobra has kidnapped this woman and they basically put out a ransom says, come get her and, you know, pay blah, 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 or we'll, we'll, we'll kill her. And, This is where it really, when it comes to the cartoon, because the cartoon was geared towards kids, they couldn't show anybody dying or any really overtly violent stuff other than punching somebody in the face. But in the G.I. Joe comics, they were not geared toward kids necessarily. And here's where we see that for the first time. Actually, we see it for the first time when the Baroness is kidnapping Dr. Burkhart because she puts a gun to the woman's temple. Uh, she puts a gun to the woman's temple and she tells the secret service agents, you know, not to mess with her or she will turn the doctor's head into a fine red mist. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty dark. So the next time we see this is when the generals are talking about what they can do. One of them, and I think it was General Flagg, basically says, look, doesn't this kind of solve our problem? Here's this woman who has these government secrets that we don't want to get out. Shouldn't we just let Cobra kill her? That would solve the problem, right? And the other general's like, no, we can't really do that because then, you know, it'll make us look bad. It'll look like we were trying to have her killed. So we got to we gotta rescue her. Just, just old, not, not because we care about saving this American's life, but because we have to save face to make it look like we're, we are concerned about somebody, you know, an American citizen. And so they decide to send in G.I. Joe. Now, G.I. Joe, they call them the, the, the Delta team codenamed G.I. Joe, and they are like an anti-terrorist task force type of thing. But their entire mission is not just, in the cartoon, it's G.I. Joe, your entire mission is to stop Cobra. Now, that's what it kind of turns out being in the, in the comic, but that's not why they were created. They weren't created to stop Cobra. They were there to talk to, they're, they're a special missions force. They are the elite like Navy SEAL Team Six type thing. So they're, they are sent to rescue Dr. Dr. Burkhart. And Cobra has a base on this island out in the ocean and they have to sneak in and, and they, they, it's basically like a five, six point plan, something like that. And, and, uh, Cobra Commander has planned this all from the beginning. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what the Joes are going to do. And he has his own plan to basically let the Joes storm their base, let them feel like they're getting the upper hand, let them storm the base. And once they get on the base, he and Dr. Burkhart will fly away in a helicopter and then the base will blow up and kill G.I. Joe. So really the the sole, the main purpose of this 
action from Cobra is to blow up G.I. Joe. And there's this another really dark scene where on this island, there is a, a village of people who are, they, they just call them um, fishermen, but it's men, women, and children who live in these huts. And at one point, as uh, one of the smaller teams, because they break up into different teams, they all have different goals. One of the teams takes out their radar. One of the teams has to uh, blow up the airstrip. Scarlet and Snake Eyes, they they are infiltrating the base alone to try to, um, I guess, bypass security so everybody else can get in. And there is another, there's another point in the book that makes you go, man, this is kind of dark. Where Snake Eyes is basically there. Snake Eyes and Scarlet have scaled the side of this. Uh, it's a fort. It's like an old Spanish fort. That's where their base is, and they've scaled the walls of this fort. And they're looking in at this window at Cobra Commander and Doctor Burkhart. And Snake Eyes, who doesn't talk, he's you assume at this point that he's mute. I don't know that it turns out that he is mute. I feel like later you might find out that he just doesn't he's he doesn't talk he's he he just has taken a vow of silence or something but i don't know i'm not going to get into that right now we'll get into that when we get into those issues but he's signaling to scarlet he's like talking to her in sign language and he basically says we could end this right here and now just by shooting her in the head as far as anybody else will know it was just you know cobra commander did it and she's She's open to the idea, but in the end, she says, no, we can't do that. We're better than that. That's not what we're about. We're here to follow orders and get her back. And uh, in the end, okay, so the, the, the fishing village. At one point, the team that's going through the fishing village, they, they show up, and there's just dead bodies everywhere. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Cobra has killed everybody in this village. The men, the women, and the children, they're all dead. And it's like, wow, this is G.I. Joe, and it's so dark. And Cobra Commander, who has this whole plan that is just all about killing G.I. Joe, he's so confident that his plan will work. And he is so ruthless that he he basically sacrifices all his men. There's a whole freaking practically battalion of men, Cobra, age, Cobra soldiers on this island that he sacrifices against G.I. Joe, knowing they're all going to die, knowing that G.I. Joe has to kill them all to get to the fort. He sacrifices them all just to kill G.I. Joe. And of course it doesn't work out in the end, but he and the Baroness does escape. It's, it's actually a really good issue. And the art, holy crap, Herb Trimpey, I tell you what, there's of course a couple of panels here and there that, you know, back then they believed in deadlines. And so they had to rush certain panels. Certain panels were not given importance over other panels. But the panels that you can tell that he took the time on, they're just gorgeous. It's, of course, that old Marvel House style, but it's done so well. And Larry Hama, being a veteran, knows all the military jargon. And they're really good about whenever he he uses military jargon, they put a little asterisk next to it, and then they'll have a little editor's box to explain to you what that means. That's That was always something that they did in G.I. Joe. And, of course, they also had to incorporate a lot of the vehicles from the toys in there. Whenever they would get ready to launch a new vehicle or introduce new action figures, they would show up in the comic book. And in this case, you had the tank, which I think was called the Mobat. You had the Jeep with the guns on top of it, and it was uh, pulling a laser cannon. I had I had the tank. I had the 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 Jeep. I had the laser cannon. Matter of fact, the laser cannon is in a box in the back of my car right now 
because my my parents are cleaning stuff out. But it also had the motorcycle with the uh, sidecar that was a Gatling gun. We had that one as well. My little brother was just getting into G.I. Joe as as I was really hip deep into it. So between the two of us, we had a lot of stuff. But anyway, it was a really great issue. If you can get a hold of these G.I. Joe classics right now, I'm reading them through Comixology Unlimited. Most of them, I don't know when it stops, but I know I've got the, I've got the first four trades. They are available through Comixology Unlimited. So if you are paying for that service, which is like $6 a month, you can read all these issues for free or you can read all these issues for, by paying $6 a month. But that's where I'm reading it. But you can, I'm, I believe the trades are still out there in stock trades, Amazon, that kind of thing. And I just learned today, here's the thing. I'm recording this well in advance behind the scenes there, folks, opening up the curtain. But I just learned today that Comixology Unlimited, they are owned, Comixology is owned by Amazon, and they have finally merged together to the point that if you're on Comixology Unlimited, and you, you, you can read that stuff through your Kindle. You don't have to have the Comixology app. So if you're like, for example, if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited, you can also join Comixology Unlimited and it'll all be there on one app, which I think is is pretty neat. Because it, it used to not be like that. It, it's You could buy the comics at either place, but as far as the unlimited services, they didn't, they didn't merge. But anyway, G.I. Joe number one. This is our first G.I. Joe episode. I'm going to do with G.I. Joe what I'm doing with Madman and ElfQuest, which is one episode per issue, and we're just going to see how far we can get. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of G.I. Joe. It's part of what made me me. I grew up with G.I. Joe. And again, if you're interested in hearing me talk about the cartoon at all, I will be doing that over at my other podcast, which is only exclusive. You can only get it if you're a patron for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or. That's it. That's my episode, folks. So until next time, my name is Stephen, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. I'm out. Just Another Fanboy is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about all the comics and such I don't have time to talk about here. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me at Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 